Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Control of the U.S. Senate has come down to the wire this morning. Georgia Democrat Raphael Warnock, a pastor, defeated Republican Kelly Loeffler, becoming the first black Democrat elected as a U.S. senator from a state in the South. While votes are still being counted in a close race for the second seat, Democrat John Ossoff in a video this morning has claimed victory over Republican David Perdue. Coming up, we'll get the latest on the Georgia election, which will decide control of the U.S. Senate, and on Congress, where legislators are scheduled this hour to vote to certify Joe Biden's Electoral College win. That's all next, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Democrat Raphael Warnock has defeated Republican Kelly Loeffler in Georgia, becoming the first black Democrat elected as a U.S. senator from a state in the South and only the 11th black senator in the history of the nation. All eyes are now on the race between Democrat John Ossoff and Republican David Perdue, which will determine which political party gains control of the Senate. Ossoff has a narrow lead in that race, which is still too close to call. Meanwhile, In a joint session of Congress overseen by Vice President Mike Pence, U.S. lawmakers gathered this morning to confirm Joe Biden's victory. We'll discuss Republican efforts to overturn the result, including President Trump's call for Pence to block certification. And we want to hear from you on Georgia's runoff. You can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your thoughts to forum at kqed.org. East Bay Congresswoman Barbara Lee joined me earlier this morning, and I asked her about her reaction to the results in Georgia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> up all night, probably up all night again tonight, but really, really excited and happy. Let's talk about the historic nature of this moment, because it really can't be overstated. We're talking about a black senator from what was thought to be a red state, a once Jim Crow state, and the only, well, first Democratic black senator. Yeah, and I just have to quote uh, Reverend Warnick, uh, because I think this is so um, 
profound in terms of what he said, uh, in terms of his mother went from picking cotton in Georgia in the 50s to picking her son to be a United States senator. So every American should feel really proud today and uh, know that, um, you know, there's so many setbacks, especially um, as African Americans and as people of color in this country. But we always bounce back and come back and make this country stronger and move forward. And I think Reverend Warnock's um, election gives me a lot of hope uh, for the future. And, and his 82-year-old mother, by the way, went out and voted for him. And also, uh, we should mention, he comes from a housing project background, was one of 12 children. Uh, this is really extraordinary in so many ways as a story, but a story of someone who came up through the Ebenezer Baptist Church with Martin Luther King. And we really have a lot of credit here due to Stacey Abrams and to black voters turnout, don't we? We certainly do, and Stacy's a good friend, and we've worked together with Stacy over the years. Uh, in fact, many of us, including myself, went down when she um, was running for the governorship of Georgia. But let me tell you, I have to just thank uh, my constituents and uh, everyone in the Bay Area because we worked so hard with Stacy, with Reverend Warnock, and with uh, John Ossoff. In the campaign, we did uh, fundraisers. We uh, did uh, actually get out to vote work, texting phone banking. And so um, I think the Bay Area can be really proud that they helped uh, Stacey and helped uh, Democrats in this race uh, win and be victorious. And so I just have to take a moment to thank everyone uh, who helped helped do this. And of course, the voters in Georgia and the grassroots movement, young people, people of color, African-Americans, the AAPI community, Latinx community, white community, people unified and came out and voted for these two individuals. And so this is historic in addition to the to the fact that um, at least we know for sure Reverend Warnock is one and John Ossoff is very close, but I think it's uh, an example of when we unify and work hard, we can win on behalf of the American people. Well, let's talk about John Ossoff here, who actually Reverend Warnock said is my mo my brother from another mother. And they are not only close, but they really ran kind of as a duo. And we should mention that John Ossoff had a close relationship with the late John Lewis and uh, and is Jewish. And the idea of uh, not only a black, but a Jew being elected, possibly senators of Georgia is really remarkable, considering the fact that Georgia, I believe, is the only state that had a lynching of a Jew back, uh, Leo Frank, back in 1913 uh, for something he was not guilty of doing. I'm just wondering what your response is to the notion that if indeed uh, Ossoff is victorious as well, we're going to have, well, President-elect Biden, President Biden, really with uh, um, uh, not only Chuck Schumer leading as a majority leader of the Congress, but a Democratic Congress. Yes, and you'll have Kamala Harris, our vice president, as breaking a tie vote from Oakland right. and Berkeley, That's California. Right. So uh, this is remarkable. And I tell you, John Ossoff, he was an intern for Congressman, our beloved John Lewis, uh, Reverend Warnock, uh, the the pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and I had the privilege actually to speak at his church and uh, did a book signing there several years ago with him. And so he's a wonderful human being. He's a wonderful man, and I tell you, his background, and one of my colleagues always says that the person closest to the pain should be the closest to the power. And here he's bringing his history uh, and his family's history and the history of so many African-Americans uh, who have suffered so much in this country 
to the center of power as a United States senator. So it, this is really a, an extraordinary moment. But if indeed John Ossoff also turns out to be victorious, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. This is a real seismic shift, I mean, in terms of the Congress, and it means that uh, President Biden's uh, cabinet selections, uh, for example, judge selections uh, will be presumably approved. They might have had a lot of interference by Mitch McConnell. It means all kinds of things, really. It means a heck of a lot. And I was just, just talking to one of my colleagues from uh, Tennessee, uh, the only Democrat, uh, and he was uh, elected in Congress. And he was telling me, uh, or one of the few, I think there are two, but he was telling me that uh, in terms of judgeships and in terms of uh, taking down the names of, of racists and slave owners from buildings and uh, the Confederate flags and all of the monuments to uh, slavery. Uh, now we have a chance to do some remarkable work, and we have a chance now to pass legislation. I mean, we have at least 500 bills sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. The Voting Rights Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, I mean, that is an important bill that now we'll be able to get through the House, the Senate, and uh, President uh, Biden will be able to sign that into law. When you look at all the issues around racial justice and equity, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, my bill, H.R. 100, the Truth, Racial Healing Transformation Bill, all of the issues around economic security and crushing this virus, you know, we have got to help people um, move forward and uh, live and, and not get sick from this virus and uh, provide the support for an economic recovery. And until the virus is crushed, we have to make sure that the economic support is there for our small businesses and for our jobs and for our state and local governments. And I'm confident that we'll be able to get a, a big bill passed that would address uh, state and local governments and make sure that people aren't laid off who are providing the essential services. So there are many ramifications of having uh, the House, the Senate, and the White House that are going to touch people's lives, and that's what's so important. People have to remember this is not about just um, policies in the um, theoretical sense, but this is about doing the work for the people so people can have those opportunities that, so that they so deserve and so they can have health care and so they can have access to the vaccines and so that they can live and not... Uh, be victimized by this horrific pandemic. It may mean, in fact, a $2,000 check instead of a $600 check. It could mean a minimum wage of $15 and lots of work on climate change. I mean, there's a lot that's involved here, to put it mildly, in terms of the possibilities if you do have a Democratic uh, majority. But what about, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this, uh, Representative Lee, uh, the, the idea that somehow if you have an, un, not checks and balances, in other words, if you have a complete Democratic majority, not only in the Congress, but you have a Democratic uh, executive and you also have a Democratic um, uh, domination, <laughs> I guess would be the word many people use, uh, that, there, that there's a danger in that. Uh, what do you say to that argument? Well, I think the system of checks and balances has worked in the past, uh, and believe you me, and I know because I've been here a few years when, for instance, when President Obama was here in in the office, uh, we tried to work in a bipartisan way. This is not about partisanship. We're trying to work with Republicans, and we have been. And so we have to see this as a moment to, one, repair the damage of the past 
And so we have to do that in a bipartisan way. But the stakes are high. And we see what has happened under um, the Republican administration of Donald Trump. And this democracy is very fragile. It's at a brink. And so we have to repair the damage. We have to preserve our democracy. And we have to provide for the health and economic security of the American people and more. And so it's going to take us to work in a bipartisan way to get this done. Congresswoman Lee, I thank you so much for joining us. appreciate very much your being with us. And congratulations. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, uh, George is on my mind today. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> thank you. That was East Bay Congresswoman Barbara Lee. And we want to hear from you on George's runoff. You can give us a call now. We invite you to do that. The number to call, 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email forum at kqed.org. Joining me now from Georgia is Dave Weigel. He covers national politics for The Washington Post. Welcome, Dave Weigel. I'm actually uh, in D.C. now. You hear noise behind me. This is the protest outside the Capitol, but I just was in Georgia, so I'll take it. Well, I'm glad to have you with us, and I know there's protests going on. We're going to try to keep our listeners up to date on that, of course, but I just want to get your response to what occurred and what is still in the process of occurring, and I'm talking about we're about uh, close to a quick break here for just 60 seconds, but uh, you had an article uh, before the election, what to look out for. And you said, turnout, turnout, turnout. It's all about turnout. Well, it was an extraordinary turnout, and it was especially extraordinary turnout for black voters. Uh, it was. And actually, one thing that surprised Republicans who were a little bit pessimistic going into the election is that they thought if turnout was bigger than a million votes on election day, they'd win. And the president himself, who uh, said some things that were not accurate at his rally in Georgia before the election, said that we need a million votes. That was accurate. Uh, Republicans thought they were down by a couple hundred thousand, but they could make it up on election day. And what happened was Democratic turnout was very high, too. It was extremely high in black rural counties, extremely high in Atlanta. Uh, and they kept turning people out in the Atlanta suburbs that are only recently turning blue. So they, they hit all their marks. Uh, it, it very comparable, actually, to the election in November. Republicans absolutely hit the numbers they needed, they thought, to win the presidency. And Democrats got more votes. Uh, I have not seen the same level of denial that we're seeing uh, literally right now that John Ossoff couldn't have got that many votes or Raphael Warnock could have. But that was the situation, and that did surprise Republicans. Well, the votes are still up for grabs in many ways with uh, John Ossoff, uh, especially uh, given the fact that there are about 17,000 military votes to come in. We're just getting a report, by the way, that President Biden has tapped Merrick Garland to be attorney general. That's breaking news. and. Always uh, satisfied to give you breaking news as it comes across our desk and as we find out things. We're going to go away for 60 seconds. We'll continue with Dave Weigel, and we'll hear from you, our listeners. Please feel free to join us at 866-733-6786. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're talking, of course, about the Georgia runoff, and uh, the results of that are still coming in. We do want to hear from you. In fact, let's hear from some of our listeners. Let's hear what your thoughts are. Tracy, let's begin with you. Good morning. Hi, good morning. 
Hi there. Thank you for having this discussion. You bet. My question is this. If Kelly Leffler was defeated last night by Reverend Warnock, then how may she participate in the electoral certification that's happening in the Senate today if the new senators were sworn in on Sunday? Well, it's a good question, Dave Weigel. I think the fact of the matter is she will. She is in opposition to uh, the Biden election and has gone on record as saying that she will vote against certification, but she's still technically senator of Georgia, of course, isn't she? She is. So David Perdue's term ended on the 3rd when the new Congress was sworn in. Kelly Leffler is filling the term that Johnny Isaacson, uh, who retired from the he had Parkinson's disease, the She's filling the rest sorry, of his we, term. Basically. We've got a really lousy line with you. I, I hope we oh, get, okay. a, get a better line going because uh, you're coming in with a lot of, uh, sounds like there's a hurricane almost. So maybe it's that protest that's doing it, but it's. Well, it's let me, a, let me, let me, uh, is this better? Yeah, now that's better. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, uh, Leffler's term does not expire uh, uh, because she's filling the rest of a uh, senator's term. When the election is certified, she will have to step down and be replaced by, by Reverend Warnock. But. Ironically, the, the race that has been called is the one that's, that uh, has, is not going to affect the balance of the Senate quite yet, whereas Purdue's seat remains vacant if, uh, and the, if will be filled most likely by John Ossoff at the end of the canvas process. Let me ask you what you think of, uh, you know, Trump said if, uh, if, if the two candidates win, uh, I'll get the credit. If the two candidates lose, uh, I'll get blamed. To some extent, you have to say that Reverend Warnock's victory does have to do with uh, President Trump, and it has probably to do with the fact that he was uh, not only discrediting the election, but you even had people like Lynn, Woods, uh, Lynn Wood excuse me, uh, saying that Republicans should boycott this based on conspiracy theories and baseless charges. Uh, yes, you had him saying that, and you had, uh, but you had the president saying that the election wasn't going to be fair, and that did hurt. When I, I was in Georgia, each time I went, Republicans were hoping that maybe this was the end of people worrying that the election wouldn't be fair. Maybe they'd turn out. But as, as late as this weekend, at the, after early voting, I was meeting re Republican volunteers, Republican officials who said, yes, and we're still finding people who just are depressed. And they don't think it's worth voting because they've been told that it's rigged. Uh, you did, so I don't think they were listening to Linwood per se. I didn't hear much of that. Uh, it was just this overall climate that the president was creating uh, that I think you can you can credit some of that for, but it was very high turnout. This is not a lot of Republicans who looked at those results and turned around uh, and decided not to vote for the senator. So this is just, they supported Trump, but they, did, they had no reason to support David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, who were let, you know unpopular and got more so as the campaign went on. Yeah, it's hard to believe in, in, in terms of this uh, rigged election, indisputable evidence of fraud when you have 60 court cases that went through the disputed all that, but they're still talking about stop the steal and a rigged election. And there's protest, as you said, going on right now as we speak in the nation's capital. I'm going to read some comments that are coming in from listeners. Uh, Michael writes, Trump's phone call to uh, Secretary of State of Georgia this past Saturday likely cost both Georgia GOP senators their election, booted Mitch McConnell out of his leadership position in the Senate and has given Biden a path and means to repair the damage of the Trump presidency. Some more of your responses. Tweet from Matthew, who says, could it be the Georgians are finally fed up with GOP misrule? So fed up they turned out overriding even the gerrymandering? And another tweet from Leona. It's a great day for the United States in Georgia. Grassroots organizations and individuals, statewide united efforts to deliver results at the polls. What do you think, uh, 
Dave, about the fact that there was so much going on from outside of Georgia. We heard from Congresswoman Lee earlier about all the Bay Area people who took a central and integral role in all of that. Uh, you know, the thought was that a lot of Georgians didn't like the fact that so much money and so much participation was coming in from outside of their state, but it may have really made a difference. Clearly did. Uh, it, it did, and I think it was canceled out because the election was so national, nationalized already that it, it didn't matter as much. Now, there are races, there are states that are a lot redder than Georgia. For example, in, in Alabama, Democrats worked very hard to not make that look like a national race. They, it was hyper-localized. Uh, but look, Joe Biden came twice to Georgia to campaign for these candidates. That's something Democrat, you know, Barack Obama did not do ahead of a runoff in 2008. Uh, and so Democrats were happy to nationalize the election because they looked at the map and said, well, Joe Biden won. Uh, if we move a couple tens of thousands of votes, we can win this. We don't need to shy away from it. So in every campaign, I mean, the, some of this is, I think, just desensitization because of the way of, of negative campaigning. Uh, if a candidate were to not have anyone from outside the state come in, he's still going to get ads that say such and such. And in this case, John Ossoff got more money from California than he did from Georgia. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Turn down donations from out of state. So I think that uh, Republicans throwing throwing their ammo at everything meant that questions like that were a little bit less relevant. And Republicans were bringing in their surrogates and their out of state money at the same time. I mean, so most of it was through PACs and People don't go to get his exercise. They don't know that you know a, a Sheldon Adelson or whatever funded a pack. But you had in the final weekend, you know, Ted Cruz coming in and Kellyanne Conway, and no one, no one was under the impression that this is a Georgia-only race. Dave Weigel with us. He covers national politics for the Washington Post. Uh, earlier, I asked uh, Congresswoman Lee about concerns that some people may have about Democratic control of the Congress uh, as well as the executive. And Richard writes, as much as I find McConnell and company to be despicable and having damaged the country almost beyond repair, this is a mistake. One need look no further than what a supermajority in the California legislature has meant. We are being taxed out of existence in this state to understand the peril. The only thing which would or could moderate the Democrats going as crazy as the Republicans as Biden or perhaps Harris would like to be reelected in 2024 and they might not like to lose the House in 2022. And here's Stephen who says, I'm super excited about the prospect of Democratic control of the Senate, but I think John Ossoff may be a little tone deaf uh, in his blunder of claiming victory this morning before the race has been officially called. That is exactly what Trump did and that all Democrats criticize. Please wait for the official results. Can you comment on that, uh, for us, uh, from your perspective, Dave, about may, what it may have been premature on uh, Ossoff's part? Uh, no, not really. And they're not they're not comparable. I mean, the, so uh, elections are they're kind of like a, a, a puzzle that is being assembled back backwards uh, almost or maybe a puzzle, a puzzle being assembled. Uh, you have all the pieces in the box. You have 500 pieces in a box when you start. You have 500 pieces on a board when you're finished. And so. The president was trying to declare a victory when everyone knew that there were hundreds of thousands of outstanding votes in key states from places that were going to vote against him. They did. Uh, the reason that Ossoff is declaring victory, the reason that Republican, I mean, you haven't seen much from the Republican Senate committees contesting that, even though they're waiting for their options, is that there's tens of thousands of votes left that are breaking his way. Uh, that's likely to put him above the recount threshold. And there's a, there is an argument for saying we won before the other team can try to take the ball, the ball away, not to be too glib about it. Uh, Democrats feel that a lot more intensely after the last few few weeks. You know? And the model for this is really Joe Biden. Joe Biden, as soon as he was ahead, I remember the election wasn't called until Saturday, even though it happened on a, on a Tuesday. Uh, Biden was giving remarks talking about how the vote pattern looked like he was going to win 
before the, the election was called by anyone. And Ossoff's repeating that here. It's not really comparable. If, if, if he was doing this and there were 50,000 votes left from uh, Cherokee County or something, it would be irresponsible. Not in this, not in this circumstance. And let's bring another caller aboard here. Uh, Kelly joins us. Kelly, welcome. You're on the air. Hi. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was curious, if Ossoff wins and there's 50-50 in the Senate, who gets to call for votes? So if there's no majority, who's the majority leader? <laughs> well, the majority uh, leader will be Chuck Schumer. Isn't that right, Dave? Yeah, it is. So we have uh, precedent in our lifetimes for this. In 2000, uh, Democrats got a 50-50 Senate. Not, ironic, not to get in the weeds, but uh, Joe Lieberman would have <laughs> would have been replaced by a Republican because he lost. Um, Democrats had 50 seats in the Senate and Republicans with Dick Cheney taking over as vice president, a deal was struck that uh, Trent Lott was going to be the majority leader because Dick Cheney would break ties on things. And indeed he did like the tax cut of 2001. Uh, but then they, they made some deals that might not happen now, like uh, splitting committee chairmanships. Now they'll probably, they'll have an equal number of Democrats and Republicans on the committees most likely, but I don't think it's like, I, I don't think you're going to see uh what you saw and then because there's just been so much blood blood feuding in the last uh, 12 20 years look at ron johnson for example uh because of this election is not going to be running the homeland security committee and ron johnson was making it clear he was going to be using it to launch investigations of the election of hunter biden um harder to do that without a gavel so i think schumer's in intent though i can't read his mind is to proceed as trent lott did um and he controls what gets on the what on the floor so the difference uh, for example, the $2,000 checks, which are relevant, and that's the issue that kind of closed out the Georgia race, um, because Mitch McConnell controlled the floor, he introduced the bill with the two poison pills the president wanted, you know, the uh, election commission, et cetera. Um, the, if Chuck Schumer, well, now he's, he's going to be majority leader, he can introduce the bill and say, it's 2000 bucks. that's it. And if you vote up and down on this, that's the difference. Uh, and you'll have even bills that might not get the votes, Talk to House Democrats. They spent two years passing things like sometimes popular, like a fifteen dollar minimum wage, through the House, and McConnell would not schedule them at all. Uh, Schumer will schedule whatever passes the House. The Democrats want to pass. Yeah, the Democrats can control the agenda, and that is a remarkably and uh, extraordinary difference in what we have now. There are hundreds of bills on Mitch McConnell's desk. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to join us, if you have some thoughts about the Georgia election or if you have some questions, we welcome your involvement in the program. Our toll-free number is 866-733-6786. Number to call again, 866-733-6786. You can also, of course, get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. I want to bring Richard Hassan into this discussion. He's Chancellor's Professor of Law and Political Science at UC Irvine School of Law, also author of Election meltdown, dirty tricks, distrust, and the threat to American democracy. And welcome, Professor Hassan. Good to be back with you. Good to have you back. Uh, I guess uh, the place I'd like to begin with you is with Vice President Pence, because the president is saying, once again, incorrectly, that Vice President Pence has the power to somehow stop the electors from exercising their votes. And the reality is there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to do something along those lines to block certification or at least protest the electorates, uh, the, ele the role of the electors. But the reality is uh, uh, this can just be delayed and delayed and delayed, but there's really nothing he can do, is there? It's just, a, in fact, his role is ceremonial. Well, that's right. I mean, if you look at what the rules uh, are and have been, the vice president really is like the master of ceremonies, uh, opening the envelope, but not determining who the winners are. And uh, sure, it's possible he could try to do something 
rogue, but every signal that's uh, been coming from his office uh, to journalists is that he's going to play it by the book. Uh, he's likely to make some kind of statement about uh, fraud that's going to try to please Trump and Trump's base. But I don't think in the end he's going to be the one that's even going to be the cause of any significant delay. That delay is going to happen depending upon how many states see objections coming from both senators and members of the House of Representatives. Just an editorial comment, what continues to astonish me is how little the president seems to understand the Constitution and the way it works. But I go back to the possibility of delay here. I mean, the real question boils down to how much can this be delayed and what can be done to delay delay? I mean, <laughs> theoretically, I suppose uh, this, this opposition could go into debates for days and uh, I know there's been an article that you took some exception to uh, in The New Yorker by uh, uh, Jeannie uh, Gerson, who essentially argued that you could delay and, and actually the Congress would have to uh, somehow uh, do a recount or you could move it in some direction so that things would come to kind of a standstill. Well, I think that uh, that article misinterpreted the rules of the Electoral Count Act. So the Constitution provides certain rules for how the counting of electoral college votes need to be conducted. And then Congress, after a disputed election in 1876, passed a set of rules called the Electoral Count Act, which prescribe, among other things, when there's uh, there's an objection. And basically when there's an objection coming from both a representative on the, on the House side and a senator, then each of the two chambers uh, goes back to their respective uh, chambers and they hold a two hour debate. Uh, and um, in practice, the two-hour debate will be longer because the senators have to get back to, to their own chamber. Um, this could happen if it happens, say, for six states. That would be a debate of 12 hours plus the transportation time. It might be possible to try and get more debates going uh, maybe as to each elector. I mean, so you could drag it out even potentially for a number of days, but it's not clear to what end that would be. I would point out that if the House, which is not going to vote for Donald Trump, does not agree with the Senate. In the end, according to the 20th Amendment, Donald Trump is no longer president and Mike Pence is no longer vice president at noon on January 20th. So if there was a stalemate, we're going to have President Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that, that would be the result if there were a stalemate. If there were no decision, Nancy Pelosi actually would become president on January 20th. Act, acting president. Acting president, right. Can I get you, uh, Professor Hassan, to uh, talk about uh, what we're hearing, at least at this point, was being reported about Merrick Garland uh, possibly being named attorney general or likely to be named attorney general. Would that have happened, do you think, if not for the Georgia Senate result from Biden? Well, you know, one of the things that um, was going into the calculation for who would be the next attorney general, if you're considering Merrick Garland, is that he holds a seat on a very important court called the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Uh, some consider it the second most important court after the United States Supreme Court. Uh, and um, if the Republicans continued to hold the Senate, then they could potentially block a replacement for Garland uh, if Garland took over uh, as attorney general. Uh, if Democrats, as we now expect, take control of the Senate, they'll be able to confirm someone for that seat. So uh, it does put Garland back in the mix or removes at least a an impediment to including him. I have no inside information on whether he or one of the other people who's been uh, rumored to be a finalist is more likely to be successful, but that is certainly 
um, makes it easier to make a Garland choice. I think the big question about Garland is whether he is progressive enough for, for the more progressive wing of the of the Democratic Party that would like to see uh, someone with a with a with a greater emphasis on racial justice and on criminal justice reform. And we'll bring a caller on. Paul joins us. Paul, welcome to the program. You're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just had a quick question about now having the control with the Senate, presumably, if the possibility of changing the rules, the Senate rules, to get rid of the filibuster and pass bills with a simple majority, how that might play out. I'll take my answer off here. Yeah, let me go back to you, Dave Weigel, on that. What do you think the likelihood is of getting rid of the filibuster if indeed there is a Democratic majority? I don't think that's very likely. Um, it was, I think the scenario where that might happen would be a 52, 53 seat Democratic majority, which they were hopeful they would get. Uh, you have Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are on the record against it. And what, what, what Republicans will say is, well, there's going to be a lot of pressure from activists. They're going to do things like pass a, a voting rights bill in the House or a D.C. statehood bill, and activists are going to demand that they that they use the break, break the filibuster to pass them. Uh, that is not the intent of Senator. No. Something could snap, as you saw in 2013, when Democrats, after years of blocked judicial nominations, got rid of the filibuster for nominees. They're much less likely to do it for uh, legislation just because they think that that creates the possibility that Democrats, sorry, that, that Republicans get a majority a couple years later and do things they could never pass as long as the filibuster exists. That's still the attitude of most Democrats, even though it's a fight among uh, party activists. Yeah, Dave Weigel, good to have you with us. I want to thank you for being with us and appreciate the time you've spent with us. That's Dave Weigel. He covers national politics for Washington Post. I'm going to read... As we come up on a quick break here, some more of the comments that are coming in. Uh, Professor Hassan will stay with us. And Buck writes, what happens to those hundreds of bills that are on Mitch McConnell's desk? They get thrown out or moved to another desk? I think the answer is they get moved to another desk, at least at this point, uh, if indeed there is a Democratic majority. Barbara says, rejoicing for Georgia. Leffler reeked of mindless privilege. Purdue refused to debate Ossoff a second time after losing badly in the first debate. Accolades for Abrams, the rightful governor of Georgia. And Chris says the Georgia result is amazing. While tempting now to focus on all the progressive policy ideas we get to enact, I think there needs to be laser focus on countering the strategy of a Republican Party hell-bent on minority rule. And we'll take more of your calls and we'll hear more from Professor Hassan. Stay tuned. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we are talking about the Georgia runoff as well as what is occurring today in Washington, D.C. I'm not talking about the protests. We'll try to keep you up to date on that, obviously, but I'm talking about the certification of the Biden presidency. And uh, with us is Richard Hassan. He's Chancellor's Professor of Law and Political Science at UC Irvine School of Law. Uh, can you have us uh, give a sense from your perspective of when we might find out the results of uh, the Ossoff election, uh, the Ossoff-Purdue race? Well, Ossoff. I think right now um, 
it's going to, you know, it, it, it's always the last tens of thousands of ballots in a, in a large state that, that take the longest to count. Some of these are military and overseas ballots that, that have extra time to come in. Uh, some of these are just ballots that there wasn't enough time to count um, in the uh, in the first evening when, when ballots were counted. Uh, there's tens of thousands of ballots left. Most of them are in Democratic areas. Uh, the, the smart people I know who count uh, who look at the vote counts, uh, they suggest that not only is Asif likely to win, but he's likely to be able to win by more than a half a percent, which is significant because if it's within a half a percent, then there's an automatic uh, recount that is conducted. Uh, and uh, I believe under Georgia law that if it's uh, uh, above that threshold that you can't even request a recount if you are a candidate uh, who's on the losing side. Uh, so, uh, you know, it may be uh, a couple of more days, uh, even maybe into the weekend or at the beginning of next week before uh, you're going to see news organizations that are going to be comfortable calling the race. I believe Georgia was called on the Saturday after Election Day for uh, Joe Biden. So it could take that long. But I don't think the outcome is really in doubt at this point. I don't think it's also likely to be in doubt that the Republicans will talk about uh, a rigged election again. President Trump has already talked about a voter dump. I don't think the president understands to this day how the votes are counted and how they're revealed. He sees, for example, results coming in with Republicans leading and then suddenly Democrats lift up and he thinks there's a voter dump. He doesn't understand that is the order, it seems to be, of the counting. But let me go to some of our callers. I want to hear from Dylan next. Dylan, you're on. Dylan, are you there? Yeah. Go ahead, please. So they were, they were talking about, um, I forget what the term is, but essentially a bunch of people in the Bay Area helped fund the um, campaigns for the people in Georgia. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in support of that. I definitely like the, um, or not, not support the concept, but I support Democrats winning, even though I'm kind of disillusioned with the party. However, is that something that commonly happens where people in other states fund campaigns in other states? And if not, is that a precedent we want set? No, it, in these uh, certainly elections that are uh, of great weight, uh, a lot of money comes in from out of state in the PACs, as said earlier by our guest uh, from the Washington Post, Dave Weigel. And certainly a lot of people are very active on the phones and active even going house to house before the pandemic. That's just the uh, way elections are run, and particularly elections that are important in people's minds. Let me bring another caller on here. Wynn joins us next. Wynn, good morning. Thanks. You know, I think it's a wonderful day to celebrate this election, but there's still some clouds on the sky that I think we have to keep in mind. Because of Citizens United, we had to spend a half a billion dollars just to elect two senators. And Trump is not going away. He is already fomenting trouble going forward. So how are we going to run this country for the next four years in the divided state that we're doing right now? Professor Hassan, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, well, I think that uh, we are in a very difficult position. I'm actually working on a book right now uh, on the question of how we're supposed to run a democracy in this disinformation era, especially when you have disinformation about the election itself and that, that disinformation is coming from a president or a presidential candidate. Uh, we're very divided um, along political and ideological lines um, and the messages that people hear uh, and that they get through social media, through cable news, 
reinforce their worldviews. And it's 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 become a, a situation where Biden is going to be coming into the presidency with millions of people believing the false claim that he has stolen the election. And when you think about what it takes for democracy to work, it's that we hold a fair election and that the losers, while grumbling, accept that election result as legitimate. When you lose that, you lose that very foundation of democracy. And I think we're headed for perilous times, even as Trump exits the presidency, uh, Trumpism and disinformation about elections is going to continue. I think it's a very legitimate concern, uh, Professor, and a serious caveat. Uh, let me read a comment from a listener named Andrew. It's a political analysis comment. He says, let's not forget one of the big winners from today if the Democrats take control of the Senate, Joe Manchin. He'll be able to wield a lot of influence and power being one of the few Democratic senators from a red state and having his crucial vote in the future will be critical. And a question from Todd. I'll go to you on this, Professor Hassan. Uh, Todd says, given the open sedition by the group of 12 senators protesting certified elections, is there a process to unseat, kick out, invalidate these actors without consequences? There can be no healing. Good job, Georgia, Todd writes. Well, I think that there may be political consequences. Uh, it's not clear to me uh, that there will be. And indeed, there may be political consequences uh, for those uh, who refuse to join uh, in the objections. But in terms of any kind of legal action or sanction, uh, there's something in the Constitution called the Speech or Debate Clause, and it basically says that you can't um, uh, take someone to court or, or take them to another forum if they're in the House or the Senate and they're being uh, attacked for what they do in that body. They have a kind of legislative immunity, which is an important thing. You want senators and members of Congress to be able to act in line with their consciences. But that does mean that even when someone takes a reprehensible position, like repeating the false claims that the election was stolen or rigged, and that object to perfectly valid electoral college votes, there is no uh, legal answer to that question. If people don't like it, they need to work against those uh, uh, representatives and try and get them replaced in the next election. And what are your thoughts, uh, Professor Hudson, on that comment I read before uh, about the enormous power of conservative Democrats if uh, Ossoff wins? Well, first of all, yeah, I think there's going to be uh, you know, two big differences um, with even a razor-thin Democratic majority in the Senate. Number one, you're not going to have um, Republican chairs who are going to be running investigations into Biden. Uh, it's much harder to do that in the minority. And number two, uh, Biden is not going to have to spend a lot of his uh, early days trying to get through his nominees. Uh, that's going to go much more smoothly. Uh, and so that will give him more of a chance to work on his agenda and also gives the Democrats a chance to do things like clean up uh, you know, uh, technical language in the Affordable Care Act, which could then moot a Supreme Court case that is now pending over whether the whole act has to fail because of uh, a uh, the repeal of the mandate uh, in that law. So there's a lot that Biden is going to be able to do, uh, totally apart from uh, you know kind of the more ambitious legislative uh, agenda that's going to help him uh, get a start. But I do think that when it comes to legislation such as legislation that I support, which would uh, strengthen voting rights, it's going to be the uh, conservative, the most conservative members of the Democratic Party, as well as some of the more liberal members of the Republican Party who might cross over, who are going to wield a lot of power on how, how far things are going to go and how quickly they're going to move.
And I want to read some uh, emails that are coming in, a lot of enthusiasm from listeners. So just give you a sampling here. Chaz writes, as a Vietnam-era U.S. Navy vet, I almost lost hope in our democracy. Folks like Stacey Abrams and Latasha Brown renewed my faith in the American experiment. Melody says, I'm so excited about this momentous win in Georgia. Stacey Abrams deserves a Medal of Honor. I hope this lays the groundwork for a nationwide fight against voter suppression. And Ray writes, I'm glad that Mitch McConnell's obstructionism will finally come to an end. If the Republican Party wants to blame anyone for a Democratic Senate, they should look no further than do-nothing McConnell. And in a tweet from Leona who says, it's a great day for us in Georgia. Grassroots organizations and individuals statewide united, united efforts to deliver results at the polls. And let me bring a, a, few, a few more calls on, uh, but before I do a couple of questions in, from emailers, I'll go to you, Richard Hassan. Uh, Todd says, if the Democrats do indeed assume control of the Senate, what bill and initiatives will be priority for the next few years, aside from bills directly related to addressing the pandemic? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think, uh, you know, that caveat at the end, aside from the pandemic, I think the pandemic is re going to remain uh, the top issue, uh, not only in terms of what it's going to take to get vaccines to everyone and deal with the public health issues, but also the economic fallout. One of the things I'll be looking for is whether or not uh, Biden is going to move on that $2,000 check that you may, may remember uh, President Trump belatedly tried to uh, get uh, the uh, Congress to pass this time around. Uh, beyond that, I think there are going to be uh, there's going to be a lot of concern about climate change, about criminal justice reform. And I, as I mentioned earlier, and I hope about voting rights, because I think that this election showed that uh, there are lots of places where our uh, system needs bolstering, uh, where we need to clear up the rules for how we translate the people's will into the choice of the president and uh, to ensure that people can vote uh, in a safe and fair way. And so uh, th there's plenty of stuff to cover. I think Democrats are going to be racing against the clock uh, because, uh, you know, there's a fairly decent chance that they will lose control of one or both chambers within two years. So that gives Biden a, a kind of a narrow window of opportunity here uh, to act. And so I think they're going to try and hit the ground running as quickly as they can. Well, there's a lot that he can do, though. I mean, one thinks uh, when uh, Barack Obama had a Democratic majority, he got an Affordable Care Act through, and that uh, was something that was almost miraculous, given uh, the difficulty of getting that through. Plus, you mentioned the $2,000 check. Uh, that may have hurt, certainly, the senatorial candidates in uh, Georgia that uh, McConnell was opposed to it, although he tried to blame the Democrats. So let me get a caller on here. Anu Rat joins us. Anu Rat, welcome. Hi. Hi um, this is Anurag Thomas. Thank you for taking my call. Can you yeah. hear me? Yes. Go ahead, please. Okay. I just wanted to check, uh, uh, is, are the senators and House reps who are protesting the election are they criminally liable because they are under sedition act or something because they are shouting fire in a in a theater full theater so first law first amendment should not apply to them because they know they're lying and they're still protesting liability I'll go to you professor Hassan. yeah no that speech or debate clause uh, prevents uh their being any liability for right. doing anything that's yeah, an official act. Uh, you know, it could be something outside of uh, acting as a member of Congress or a senator. But I just want to go back to a point you made earlier about um, uh, Obama being able to get the Affordable Care Act. Remember, when he did that, he very briefly had a 60-member Senate yeah. uh, majority, which is filibuster-proof. Uh, unless you eliminate the filibuster, I know you were talking to Dave Weigel about this uh, when I first came on, 
unless you are able to um, get rid of the filibuster, uh, a lot of this stuff is not going to be achievable uh, in uh, in Congress. Uh, so it's uh, uh, nominations. Yes, the filibuster has been eliminated for that. There are certain things that could be done on just a bare majority through something called budget reconciliation. But uh, but the other things, uh, you're going to see Republicans acting as obstructionists, no question about it. And I want to give listeners uh, an update here. Osaf's lead has grown to 17,567 votes. That's 0.4 percentage points, just shy of the 0.5 point margin that would help him avoid a recount. Uh, CNN's John King is reporting that a little more than 60,000 votes are still to be counted. 50,000 plus are in counties easily or overwhelmingly carried by Democrats, meaning that Ossoff's lead is certainly going to grow. Let me take another call. Millen joins us next. Millen, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, good morning, and thanks for taking my call. Uh, Michael, I was prompted to call in. Uh, first of all, I should uh, comment that, you know, karma is a, is a serious thing, and I'm glad to see it come back um, to Georgia and and um, uh, the payback for the Republicans for what uh, for what they they were in bed with. But that being said, I was prompted to call by your comment earlier that uh, Trump uh, seems to not understand how the votes are coming in and how they're counted. And I wanted to counter that by saying that we shouldn't be distracted by it. He fully well understands it, as do the Republican senators who are following that narrative. And I think we would be better served if the media collectively called out this um, uh, fake uh, manipulation that's going on of gullible uh, voters and in particular a gullible uh, part of the demographic and, and really work on that aspect. So uh, thanks. And with that, I'll, I'll take my uh, take your response off the air. All right. I thank you for that comment. Uh, let it stand. But it gets me back to something uh, that you raised uh, in your writing, Richard Hassan, and that is uh, and, and in interviews that you've given the perception of Donald Trump. Uh, on the one hand, there are those who feel that he should be charged uh, because of the most recent phone call, not the Ukraine phone call, but the most recent phone call, uh, charged uh, with um, uh, with fraud, really, uh, and with threatening and all kinds of things that have been brought forward, not only in terms of federal law, but Georgia law. And you said that it depends on his intent. If he actually believes in those wild conspiracy theories, then perhaps that would give him uh, not necessarily lack of culpability, but would make things uh, far different for him. Yeah, I do think that uh, if if he actually is drinking his own Kool-Aid and, and thinks uh, all of this is uh, fraudulent, uh, that could pose a difficulty in trying to prosecute him, as well as a number of jurors, if it ever came to a jury trial, who might be Trump supporters and might believe that uh, these kinds of the, um Statements that Trump is making uh, either are true or Trump could have believed them to be true. I mean, and we also can't um, eliminate the possibility that Trump is going to try to pardon himself at the end of the day. Um, and uh, that wouldn't prevent him from being prosecuted uh, for state crimes, as in Georgia, but it would uh, eliminate the uh, potential for uh, for federal liability if, in fact, uh, he is successfully able to pardon himself. And I don't mean to certainly impugn, uh, but I think the the fact of the matter is that the president, uh, this is a president who thought at one time that there were airports during the American Revolution. You have to ask just how, to, how much he understands history in the Constitution. I think it's a fair way of seeing this president, despite uh, how cunning and how um, shrewd many people believe he may be on different scores. 
Let me read some comments that are coming in. Uh, actually, um, Pam writes, pundits are talking about how dangerous it is that so many people have lost trust in elections. I don't remember that kind of talk after the 2000 election when there were a lot of similar feelings, government function, things got done. That will be the case again this time. Hope you're right, Pam. Thank you for that. Uh, Lewis says, what about thoughts on Stacey Abrams for other positions in the government? Is she destined to the White House? And uh, there are a lot of people talking about you know, Stacey Abrams having been, because of voter suppression, denied the governorship of Georgia. Have any thoughts about where she might go after this, Richard Hudson? Well, Stacey Abrams has said time and again that she wants to run to be governor of Georgia. I think she wants to get um, executive uh, experience because she probably sees herself as a presidential candidate sometime down the line. Um, uh, it's remarkable uh, what's happened in Georgia. And, uh, you know, Stacey Abrams deserves a lot of credit, but it, it took a lot of people to get the kind of turnout on both sides uh, that we saw in in both the general election and the and the runoff election. And so um, uh, her work on voting rights and, and the work of others on voting rights uh, proved to be uh, pretty crucial uh, this time through. Her week in, uh, work indeed was crucial. It was indefatigable in many ways. We've got seconds left here. I wonder about uh, your response to Daniel, who wants to know, could they have overturned the Electoral College decision if it had been a Republican Congress? Um, yes, in terms of, um, you know, Congress gets to count the votes, and they could potentially have um, not counted votes that came in from uh, states that were perfectly valid. I think that, though, would have triggered a national crisis. And there are, even though we're seeing many objectors on the House side uh, and, and some on the Senate side, there are a number of principled Republicans who recognize that it would be their, a violation of their constitutional oath to do something like that. And so uh, that's something I'm grateful for. Well, grateful for having you on, Richard Hassan. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for being with us. Richard Hassan, Chancellor's Professor of Law and Political Science, UC Irvine, author of Election Meltdown, Dirty Tricks, Distrust, and the Threat to American Democracy. Please stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.